What's happening, people? It is Cooper. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Midwest Meals. Midwestmeals.com is the website. It is so convenient. Now, Midwest Meals, here's what they do. They do all that meal prep for you. So your meals are ready to go for the week. All you have to do is go to MidwestMeals.com, pick out the meals you want for the week, add them to your subscription, get that done by Friday. And then on Monday, no matter where you are, nationwide, they will ship to your house. Your meals will arrive and you are set to go. Meal prep, check done for the week. And if you're local, if you're here in the uh, in the Valley, you can just stop into one of their many pickup locations and grab your meals for the week on Monday. Very cool stuff. You got your macros counted on there, calorie count. They have uh, the macro calculator on the website, which you can go and see where your goals are at. Like if you want to gain muscle, you want to lose some weight, you want to maintain, add all your stuff in, your info in, and boom, it'll pop out the number of each that you need to have in your body to achieve those aforementioned goals. Midwestmeals.com. Promo code is Cooper. Get 10% off your first order. Midwestmeals.com. Hashtag MidwestFitFam. Ballwash, proud new sponsor of the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. They got everything, guys, for your guys down there. Mm-hmm. The stanky parts. The wash, the rub, the spray, and they actually just added a new product line. I just got the email uh, a couple of days ago. Quickies Body Wipe. So when you're on the go and you want to get all that sweaty, dirty grossness off the rest of your body, bigger, better, extra large wipes available now from Ballsy, the makers of Ball Wash. Ballwash.com is the website. Go there and uh, check out their fine products in all their different scent profiles. And at checkout, use the promo code COOPER and get 15% off that order. Ballwash.com. Hashtag live life balls out. Violent Gentlemen Hockey Club, you know those guys. Proud sponsors of the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. Their hoodie collection, like I, I want all of them. I am kind of a hoodie connoisseur when it comes to the fall and winter seasons. It's kind of my go-to. Yes, they're all black, so that's just that's just me. But man, I want each and every one of those Valent Gentlemen hoodies and pullover sweatshirts. It's me. I have an addiction problem. You need to go and check them out and see exactly what I'm talking about. Violentgentlemen.com. Find something you like. It could maybe it's not hoodies. There's t-shirts, there's ladies' wear, there's caps, there's everything. Jerseys. Jump on board. ViolentGentleman.com. Promo code is Cooperville15. 15% off your first order. ViolentGentleman.com. And you know, the show wouldn't be complete without a couple Monster Energies. Keeping us fueled over here. Keeping the workouts going. Focused and hydrated with Monster Hydro. You know, they got all the varieties. They got the original. They got a whole bunch of different flavors. The Ultra Line, which we're talking zero sugar, zero calorie. Hashtag Monster Podcasts. Welcome to Cooperville. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast. On demand anywhere quality podcasts are available. And some places where cheap podcasts are available. And the local gas station has some. Subscribe, get updates, feel better about your life. Welcome to Cooperville.com. Welcome to Cooperville. Make sure you use a coaster. The wife gets upset when we leave rings on the tables. Scott Bartlett, my guest on the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. Scott may not remember this, but the first time him and I met, Saving Evil was uh, was in Eau Claire doing a show. You stopped by the studio. We did the uh, you know your stereotypical radio interview, and then before the show, here's where it got real. Saving Evil. We met in the bar. 
you're like, dude, can you somehow get a bottle of Jack Daniels from the bar to the RV parked down the road? And I said, absolutely. And confiscated the bottle of Jack. There may have been two. My memory is fuzzy. But made it to the RV and got to hear the raw demo in the RV of Bloodstained Revolution right before the show. And that is where uh, we begin our conversation as we are back in on the podcast. Scott, thanks for the time, brother. Really appreciate it, man. Dude, I think I remember that. <laughs> the, amongst the the piles of Jack Daniels bottles in the wake, that was uh, yeah, that there was the raw the raw demo. I think I think it was on disc. I can't remember. I would say was it on cassette. No, I think it was on a disc. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we we jammed out to it, and you know that was kind of. Uh, a big point for for the band and you know for for us kind of touching base you know in, in life and in radio and, and musicians it's it's such a it's a crazy relationship at so many different levels because you travel you guys travel all the time you're always on the road um, pounding the pavement doing the damn thing and you meet everybody because it's it's kind of part of the it's part of the gig going to radio stations and doing the interviews and then you know pre-show post-show it's a long road man yeah, it's definitely uh, it's 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 tricky how you gauge relationships. Right. You know, you just gotta. That's why we we decided a long to like a long time ago with Abel that let's just always be us. Mm-hmm. Like not front. Like like things are always easy. Just right. kind of tell it like it is. It's like it's like one of those that you know. I think therapists will tell you this. Thank God I haven't been to therapy because I'd probably be a lot more level-headed. <laughs> probably wouldn't write cool songs. Uh, but, but like, you know, you gotta you gotta just be you at all times because it's 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 impossible to keep up with lies, right? And exactly. Like fabrications, and it'll just it'll 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 dig an early grave, man. So like the same holds true with relationships, friends, fans, family, just be you, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the people that don't like you, how you are, fuck them. Exactly. You know, there's, there's something to be said about, especially in, uh, in the music industry, the radio industry, really anytime you are, you know, dealing with different groups of people, uh, masses, as far as the fan base goes, obviously there's, there's some corporate things you have to deal with on a certain level, but as long as you kind of keep a level of authenticity about yourself, you know that is where you can continue not only in in the career path and on the road, but as well as being able to go home and sleep at night. You know you don't have to worry about like oh man we're in Wichita tomorrow and I can't remember dude's name, but I mean I'll I'm gonna pretend that you know we're it, it's all good. So you, you know you guys have always done a great job of of really being true to uh, to who Saving Able is. Um, as I I just remembered I looked up uh, in my studio now I, I moved everything when I got like over from radio I moved everything into my home studio and there's a bottle of Jack Daniels coincidentally sitting on top of my, one of my racks that says uh, Saving Able Roswell New Mexico uh, it's got yellow tape around it <laughs> and so you have been ever present since that night in in my life that bottle has traveled with me since then and it still sits loud and proud here in the uh, in the lab. Rock and roll, man. That's actually a, it's a cool bottle. I, I, I do remember when we did that because we did two. Mm-hmm. We sold one at the merch table, yep. and I guess you got the second one. I did. I think yeah. I think uh, I think I did end up with the second. And it's cool because I'm I'm weirdly into aliens and stuff. So it, you know, I figured the Roswell, New Mexico tie-in just really, it really, you know, it's like the rug in uh, in Big Lebowski. It really ties the room. Big Lebowski. Together. Yeah, tied the room. really ties that that <laughs> bottle really ties this room together. 
That's awesome, dude. I love that movie. I'm going to take you back a little bit, uh, Scott, to uh, to getting into music because it's it's one of those things. And I love talking to artists about this because everybody has you know a different way that they entered into into this into this wild world and, and you having some longevity, you understand the, you know, how wild it can be, the ups and downs of it. But when you're growing up, you know, where does music first find its influence in your life to the point where you go, Hey, instead of going and being this profession or being this music is a path that I'm going to pursue as a full-time lifelong career. Right. Um, man, my, my path in that is actually, I'm sure everybody's is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is sort of off the beaten path. Um, although, you know, I guess everybody's personal experiences from, from their perspective. Uh, but I remember sort of prototypical being one of those kids that was like, you had a choice. You could either do like this reading thing in like <laughs> third grade, like free period was reading or choir. Right. And I was like, I'm going to do choir. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason that led me to doing like, like I went to an all guys private prep school, which is kind of different than a lot of people know that sort of, it's like a competitive academic environment. Mm -hmm. And I ended up in middle school doing this thing called the middleman, which was an acapella group of 12 people. And we do like Beatles tunes. Wow. And that ended up translating into what ended up being the traveling men in upper school. I mean, we went over to like Czechoslovakia and sang and stuff. Um, And I remember having to learn all the parts. Like I could do bass and I could go all the way up to the high tenor. Um, And that that led me to um, theater people were interested in me. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up getting into that and this is kind of like, I'm, I'm going all over the spectrum here cause I'm trying, I, it's hard to make it chronological if that makes sense. Right. Um, I'm just recalling all these memories. Like I played Jesus in Jesus Christ superstar. Wow. Um, yeah. And, but, but, it, but, but it, it wasn't just that, that formal, like I can remember in eighth grade playing in my rock band for the all girls school across the street. So there was the all guys school. And then we had coordinated classes in upper school with two all girls schools. Um, and we were really excited about that. Cause you know, when you're, you're, your freaking hormones are raging. Keep you away from girls like caged beasts, right? Which is what you are. Uh, <laughs> I remember we went over there and I took, my shirt off. I was the singer. I played Rockin' in the Free World by Neil Young. Um, and nice. I took my tie off and my shirt off and I had nothing but like an undershirt on. And the chicks lost their damn mind. <laughs> and I was like, you know, there might be something to this. <laughs> like, I, I, I believe I can get down with this. I have uh, unlocked the secret. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you know, like just the, the vibe and like the energy level. It was just so intoxicating. Like, I'm not sure if I ever got over that to this day. Right. Um, and what ended up happening was I stayed in bands and like, like most like high school kids, like I did all the, you know, I did drugs, I partied, I mm-hmm. drank, I played football. I was a meathead. I was the Maryland state bench press champion. If you nice. can believe that. <laughs> um, so I was always sort of very driven almost to a fault mm-hmm. at whatever I did, including music. Um, and I can remember 
a, like a quintessential sort of pivotal moment in my musical upbringing was I was playing a lot of guitar, but I was the front man in my band. And it was sophomore year, and I had decided to go on this uh, it was a Peace Corps mission over to Honduras for five weeks oh. over the summer. And we were going to build a church. But this town that we were in was called Las Ruinas de Copan in Honduras. And it was so third world that there was literally like one truck that would come into town at the beginning of the day mm -hmm. and pick like workers up. And then it would leave and there was no other cars, nothing. Wow. And it would return them at the end of the day. And the power went off every night at 10 p.m. and came back on at 8 a.m. So I would sleep in wow. this like back little hut with like spiders and shit. And it was, it was <laughs> freaking nuts. Like in hindsight, I, I, I don't even know how. Like I brought little, remember the push-up bars? Oh, yeah. Because yep. like I, I knew there wasn't going to be a gym. <laughs> and I, I was playing football. I was like, I got to keep up my weight strong. <laughs> so keep I can up, remember bro. doing that. And I remember, I so, like, so I had, there's this amplifier called the pig nose. Mm -hmm. And it's literally like a little box that runs on batteries. And the volume knob that turns it, there's one knob, it turns it on, it turns it off, and it's the volume control. And it's a pig nose. My mom to this day still <laughs> asks me about it, which is funny because I was a deviant little asshole. I snuck hash into Honduras <laughs> as a 16-year-old kid. This is way pre-9-11, obviously. <laughs> yeah, they didn't check but as I, thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I snuck it I snuck it into Honduras, which is stupid because you can probably find it there, you know. Right. But I was just this aloof kid, you know. Anyway, I brought my Stratocaster, a metal zone boss pedal, and the little pig nose amp. I ended up about three days in meeting this gentleman whose name was Carlos. And he was like, I, I barely spoke Spanish, mm -hmm. you know, but we found a way to talk and we figured out that we both played guitar. And I snuck out of my, my uh, family house that night and met him down at like the town square. And we jammed and I just, I kind of like jammed over his songs. Like I barely sang at all. Mm. And that went on for about five weeks. The thing about it is you don't realize how much better you're getting at something. Right. It's like getting fatter or thinner, you mm. know, like you're on a diet somebody sees you every two days. They don't notice it. But if they see you after five weeks, they're like, holy crap. Like what? Well, when I came back, I had no idea how much better of a guitar player I was. Right. But we had rehearsal and our lead guitar player, everybody like went up to, to have a smoke or something. And I just decided to shred. And when I stopped and looked up, they were all just looking at me and my drummer goes, man, you've been taking guitar pills or something. <laughs> and I was like, and then I didn't, and then they had a talk without me and they fired the guitar player. Wow. And they were like, you're the lead guy, you know? <laughs> and around that time is when I discovered the Allman Brothers. Oh, yes. Mm. And they're so guitar driven. Mm -hmm. And I'd already been like a classic rock guy. Like I, I can remember if I got my homework done on time when I was younger, I would get to go in the 1980 320i BMW. Nice. And 
if I was strong enough, it had like the sunroof with the spinny thing. Like it, it wasn't powered. They didn't have that shit back in 1980. Um, <laughs> If I was strong enough to push it all the way back, mm -hmm. like because the, the spinning thing was broken, like the spinning apparatus, you had to just push like, it, literally pull it. Yeah. If I was strong enough, I would get to listen to the radio. And it was always Pink Floyd, The Wall. Nice. And, I, you know, that was just so Pink Floyd and the Allman Brothers kind of took over my life. Mm -hmm. Uh. And I just started being like one of those guitar nerds. It turned into three and four hours a night, which was problematic because I was at this all guys private school, you know, literally every day from eight until 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. Because I was in every every theatrical thing they had. Right. And those those rehearsals were after school mm. and after sports. And I was involved in sports, too. So I've just always been so active but always found time for music and so by the time i graduated um i knew that music was what i wanted to do but i didn't want to convince my parents because i was 18 right you know they just spent a lot of money on my education um I, but i got into a really good school called rhodes college which mm -hmm. is in memphis tennessee which coincidentally is about two miles from where i am right now i live in memphis nice. i bought my house here um, so I came down here and it's such a rich culture of music. Absolutely. Um, it's, the, it's literally mentioned in more songs than any song in the history of time. Jeez. The mention of Memphis, yeah, Tennessee. Memphis. Um, you can Google that. Uh, so it was the right decision for me. And I mean, I can keep going and going and going, but the moral of the story is I just kept going in that direction. Mm -hmm. I got my degree in guitar performance and composition. I minored in finance and I was in bands and played literally five, six nights a week for all of my college tenure. I graduated. Uh, so I got here in 96. I graduated in 2000 and I realized quickly with a degree in classical guitar performance and composition, you can't really do much else but teach <laughs> guitar. True. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so, the calling. So I played, you know, I played in like six bands. Like mm -hmm. I was just like a guitar whore. Mm -hmm. um, I almost quit many times because of frustration. And then circa 2005, I met what ended up being Saving Abel doing session work. Mm -hmm. And in 2006, we wrote a hit song about a blowjob called Addicted. <laughs> Yes, you and did. Caught, yes, you did. Label. Yeah, and that, that caught label attention. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a whole other chapter of my life. But there's sort of the abridged version right. of how I ended up where I am. I mean, that's that path. And, you know, obviously, when you say the word driven in there, uh, driven in all aspects of things, that, that seems to be one of the one of the main conduits between a lot of artists, a lot of uh you know, people who find success in in fields that aren't your your typical day to days, there is a this drive that doesn't just propel them during for that one thing. They're driven at everything that they do. If they find some a hobby, if they you know are after a girl, there is just this relentlessness about them where they just keep on going. They just keep on getting better. Um, they grow, they learn, they do all these things to, in order to uh, to kind of 
keep on that path to success. Now, with with your story and just in how you know world versed it is, I mean, I don't know if there's any better preparation than going to Honduras for being in like a traveling band that hits the road all the time. Because it seems sometimes the conditions can be similar. You know, I've 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 been to you know just you know rock shows throughout the country, and I mean sometimes you get a great venue, and sometimes you get not such a great venue. Sometimes the, you know, the axle breaks on the bus or on the trailer or on, you know, there's just all these things that you have to prepare yourself to deal with that if you're just, if you're just driven to be a great guitar player or a great singer or a great performer, you're not equipped to handle those kind of obstacles. I think you see that a lot when you have bands that, that go through kind of some, some issues because of all these things that build up, but those who can kind of sustain and, and have the ability to overcome, you know, find their ways to success. But you, you know, you, you talked about writing the blowjob song, uh, Addicted, yes. which obviously was was the launching pad uh, for Saving Abel and a song that not just, you know, overtook the airwaves on rock radio. But I remember when that song first came out, obviously being in radio and being pissed off because I heard that song, uh, an edited version of the song, a reworked version of the song on a top 40 station. I'm like, wait a minute. We know saving Abel's ours. You guys got everybody else. We get fucking saving Abel, you know, give, give us a rock band back. But it was, that song was, was, you know, so powerful, uh, in its uh, lyrical content and everybody was kind of drawn to it. It was fun. It was dirty. Um, but massive, you know, what's nuts, dude, like not to interrupt you, no, but I haven't heard anybody say that from your standpoint before. Uh, I've thought it, Right. Because when I look back at our numbers and I look at what our follow up single was to Addicted, which was 18 days. 18 days, yeah. And now that I know the way radio works and it's it's charts and numbers and there there's so many like logistical things that go into it, mm-hmm. we shot ourselves in the foot because we released it we released Addicted to Active Rock. Yep. And it did the perfect climb. We didn't do any like any of these. And I'm not going to name any names because I'm friends with all the bands that I would probably end up talking shit about. But <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. What, what, what happens is, you know, people will do whatever it takes, and I mean whatever it takes to get to top ten, mm-hmm. and then ultimately top five, and then top one is what you want. Or sorry, number one. People will just do whatever it takes to get straight to number one. The thing about it is, when you do that, it doesn't impact. You want that yeah. slow climb. Mm-hmm. So people are constantly hearing your song. And and after it hits number one, you don't want it to go away forever. You want it to slowly... Like, we broke a record. I think it was like 38 weeks at number two wow. with Addicted. Addicted never hit number one. We were beat wow. out by Disturbed the one time we were going to go for it. And I'm good friends with those guys, and they still talk shit to me. <laughs> of course but, they do. Damn it, Dan. But you know what happened when it started to fall off the charts and the label looked at it, they were like, dude, this song has literally been climbing and climbing backwards for a year and a half. Yeah. We should cross this over, but Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like a half a million dollars to cross over to top 40. Right. They decided it was, it was worth it. So they went for it right as we were introducing 18 days and starting our, our climb Mm -hmm. with 18 days. Well, people just like you that were saying that, like the, the program directors and, and active drive time DJs decided to be possessive 
they were like, no, Abel is ours. <laughs> Abel belongs to us. Those crazy rednecks from Memphis and Mississippi belong to us. We found them. <laughs> and so they put addicted back into heavy rotation mm. while we were trying to do a push for 18 days. So yeah, that, that... we had no, no way, nowhere to go. We literally, at one point we were such a baby band, mm -hmm. but we had like spots number eight and 14 on the charts. And people were like, this is not right. Like we got to do something about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> we can't, we can't like, have we, two. We, we thwarted the matrix, you know, like <laughs> fucking Neo. Just, yeah, we just jammed it all up. And ultimately, I think 18 days might have gone number one if we hadn't yeah. done that. But, you know, there's a reason I write songs and play guitar for a living and I don't work in radio. So maybe I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a reason I'm not in radio anymore, too. I can, you know, maybe I was pressing the wrong buttons. But I, no, I think that there was, in a, in a time in radio, from from my perspective, and again, we weren't corporately owned, uh, we kind of had control of our playlist um, at that time. So, but we had brought a new active rock to a market that never had active rock before. It was a, a market saturated with country. It was a market saturated with you know contemporary hit radio. So we had you know two big country stations battling. We had two top forty stations battling, and we had you know we were like the little engine that could you know this rock station Got out it. of nowhere that just pissed everybody off. And we came out of the gate. We went on the air from no frequency to a frequency to number one you know, in the ratings and everybody's like, what the fuck is going on here? Wait a minute. Like, um, this shouldn't be happening. Awesome. Uh, but so, you know, we got, you know, we had that, um, angsty rock chip on our shoulder where we're like, wait a minute. No, we like, we we're just getting started here. And that was right about the time. I think that, you know, addicted had hit and we, and we, you know, we held on, uh, you know, to addicted, even when I left, when I left radio and that was what, 2005 to that, when it was addicted was out in 2000, what, 2006. Six, seven, two thousand six, eight, eight, yeah. eight. I think yeah, six, seven, eight. So it rolled when I left. We still had it in, you know, power recurrent. You know that song was still, yeah. you know, is still, you know, relevant to this day. So I think that you know that shows something about kind of where active rock went like really super fast with just play the new stuff to kind of, you know, remembering those songs that that had a huge impact. Like I mean that's that's an incredible run for that song to be on the charts up and down for that amount of time. I mean that in this day and age, that's unheard of. You're, you're talking about charts. I mean, well, chart it's, action it's, is it's, like, it's, it's like the Nickelback model. Yeah. You know, people can talk shit all they want. At the end of the day, what happened with them is that everybody wanted it. Mm -hmm. And then nobody wanted to admit they wanted it because they thought it was uncool because everybody else had it. <laughs> I mean, everybody's on everybody's. It was like it was the like most played song ever. Fans were like, oh, soccer moms like this. Oh, that's not cool. <laughs> we're anymore. out. And then soccer moms were like, well, wait. What, what? It was it was just this confusing time, man. I remember right. when all that went down. We were on tour with Nickelback at the time. That's and wild. we looked up to him. I still do to this day. Love the band. Love the music. People say, man, all these songs sound the same. I'm like, guess what? They sound like them. Yeah. Do you know who else's songs they can all play sound? Their instruments. I'll tell you that much. There's a couple of successful bands out there that all their songs kind of sound the same, notably ACDC. And guess what? They're probably one of the most iconic rock slash metal bands in the history of music. So it's, it's a dude, Angus. No, oh, dude, that interview. He, he said, they said, what do you say to those people that say you've just written the same exact album 
18 times. And he goes, actually, I take huge offense to that because if they'd done their homework, they'd know I've done it 19 times. <laughs> I fucking love that. I fucking love him. Oh, dude. So you have this, you know, this, this huge success right out of the gate. Um, you know, it's, uh, that, that song gets picked up obviously by everybody. The run is incredibly long. Obviously that, that comes with, uh, the, the, the touring, it comes with, you know, being on tour with, with big bands like Nickelback. It comes with all these, you know, these side deals that you have to kind of go through. Um, and, and then at the same time, even as you mentioned, you're trying, you're trying to push the second single out and and get that to radio radio's fighting you know within its own self uh to uh to claim ownership of of your band and you're you're in this kind of what the fuck is going on stage of 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 life um but tell me about that you know that process going through that first you know that first run of success you know being out being you know the song is everywhere i mean it's it's on every station it you can't go anywhere without hearing it obviously it's it's a it's really weird a song about blowjobs so mass appeal you know, it's, 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 just, you know, you know, when you put it into that perspective, you're like, damn, like, like so those soccer moms jamming out to addicted. I mean, who'd have, who'd have thunk? Well, what it did was it made women realize they have the power. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, that, that female demographic is strong, man. Mm. We can get to this later. That's, that's what I hit with my clothing line. Yeah. I was like, men go where the women go. So yeah, <laughs> it's, that. it's the freaking, uh, it's the eighties hair metal philosophy you know sing songs exactly. that the that's chicks exactly love what it is you come out with a big you know you the... know what's funny that's what we were listening to like <laughs> like to bring it back to what you just asked yeah. i remember being in the van and listening to like just like motley crew mm-hmm. and you know um gnr like like a bunch of 80s stuff and that kind of got us through you know this is when all this was going down for us and we were growing as a baby band we didn't understand. We weren't listening to the radio while we drove around. We were in a van. We had to talk to each other because cell phones weren't really that popular yet. Right. I mean, they were around, but no, we weren't just glued to them. Mm-hmm. YouTube was not a thing. Like, I remember buying a season of 24 on a portable disc man <laughs> that I bought for $9.99. At, uh, but, but, but it had like a screen. Not, sorry, not a disc man. It was like a portable DVD Yeah, like player. a portable DVD player, yep. I had one of those. Yeah, I still have it. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, I mean, I, I can remember doing that, and, and I remember being in the van. I remember it smelling bad, and I'm mm-hmm. just being like, God, when's this going to end? I remember stopping at every radio station along the way, yep. like as the single picked up steam, and I didn't understand that that meant the single was doing well. I just knew that it was work that had to be done. Right. We had management telling us where to go and when, and we never said no. We just... Yeah, yeah, and that's part of what made Abel. Mm-hmm. They were like, dude, dude, these guys are workhorses. Like, they don't care. The thing is, if we'd have known, I don't, I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we were just sort of sheltered from it. Right. Because it might not have had the same outcome. Mm-hmm. We became this amicable, amicable southern rock band that would just work hard and be grateful for everything. And times were so much easier back then. Right. Because we had the wool over our eyes. But we were young and we were just working hard. I mean, that's really all there was to it. We, and then we ended up in buses and things like. And then there were, you know, girlfriends and wives and mm. drugs. I mean, every cliche in the book, my band went through it. Right. I always tell everybody I'm going to be the first to write the book. 
<laughs> but it feels like you do that when it's like when you feel like it's coming to an end and i don't see that happening for able anytime soon so i'm gonna hold off on that there's for a there's there's a couple more chapters i believe there's there's more more to write in this uh in this poetic story but you have you know this this run and it's just i mean i, I can't imagine obviously the, the highs when you know you get to that level where everything you have access to, um, you, you add in all these, all the complications of the wives and the girlfriends. Um, you know, you have success with, with 18 days, uh, drowning, another one of my, my, my favorites, uh, that came out, you know, from that record, you know, where are you at, you know, in your headspace, uh, the band, where's the band at once you kind of start to get ready for album two? I mean, where's, what's, what's the vibe like rolling on, you know, the success of Addicted, the, the massive, you know, overtaking of the song. And, and you talked about not really being aware of all of it that was going on behind the scenes, but then seeing it because all these things are coming your way and, you know, the success is starting to pay that, pay for those buses and, and all the, uh, the amenities that come along with them, we should say. By the time we got home, we hadn't been home in like, I mean, but like a handful of times mm-hmm. over the course of two, two and a half years. Right. Um, and I mean, I think at that point, fame had sort of like, you know, fame affects everybody differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I say we were young, I don't mean like those bands like wet behind the ears, like 19, 20, 21. Like myself and Jason had been around the block a time or two. Right. I had had failed record deals. Um, I didn't mention all that before because it's kind of moot, honestly. But I was like 27 when it happened Mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. So, and I'd seen the world, you know. I mean, we know I'd been to Honduras. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I had just kind of like, I I had a worldly view. Um, So I was able to wrap my head around the fact that we just went through something pretty special. Mm-hmm. I, like my, I, I can remember my parents calling me going like, holy crap, you're in USA today because a rock <laughs> band was on the top 40 charts. Right. And that was like a big deal, yeah. you know? Um, and so I knew that it was pretty special. I don't think I really understood until I went out in Memphis. And you got to remember, I was a fixture in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I played five, six nights a week. Everybody knew me. My nickname was Sluggo. And I was just known by all as like this sort of friendly guitar player guy that mm-hmm. liked to party. Right. You know? Um, and I remember going out the first time to my, my local bar, the blue monkey. Uh, and it was, it was like Norm from cheers. It was, <laughs> and I was like, Holy crap. Like, and every, it just, nobody would stop. It was almost annoying. Right. Because it was like, friends like people i considered friends were like fans and it's so crazy because that's the problem you want to have you know like you want that you want people to want you and then Mm. it just becomes it's convoluted because it's like your personal starts affecting your private and your business and it, it was overwhelming for me and in hindsight, I don't know if there is a right way to handle it. I probably didn't handle it right. I just drank a ton. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, started again, every cliche in the book, literally taking like strange Hooters waitresses to exotic islands. 
<laughs> I mean, go. that actually happened a couple of times. Let's go on a trip. Going to Vegas for the weekend and not remembering booking the last minute flight. Oof. Like, you know, waking up in Vegas. Like, why are we in Vegas? Like, you know, like right. that. I went through that. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did because I learned a lot about myself and, and the world and, and, you know, learning to like, like that, that, that quality of life of just go, 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 go ultimately halted me, mm-hmm. you know, cause as I got, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I actually got sick. Yeah. Um, but the way I processed it was that my dream finally happened. And I think I thought it would go on forever, which is like the first rule you don't go by. If you read any book about the music business, it just says, remember, this will come to a a hold or a stop or or maybe you'll die. Like try to keep your head screwed on tight because it's a hell of a ride. Yeah, it's Um, and I I fell victim to that just like everybody else does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's, you know, the, the iconic bands that I think to this day still you know, stand as the icons. I mean, we mentioned ACDC, obviously, you know, how the stones are still going. I mean, they're, they, they found the magic, you know, the magic elixir or, you know, Keith Richards is going to outlive us all anyway. So maybe we should be taking right. notes from his memoir, but you know, it is and and you obviously are still killing it with Abel to this day, but you've been witness to the, you know, the, the fast rise and the excess and the demise of of many bands that have come up, you know, bands that have had almost a similar trajectory as Saving Abel did, where they have that song, and maybe not to the extent because you know to have to have a song like Addicted that goes and crosses over and has success on on a top forty chart, that's that's really unheard of. But a lot of bands have come out and you're like, damn, that's you know, I remember you know you get singles delivered and you're like, damn, that's that's a great song, that's. You know, it's a new sound. That's a new this, and and you just see the skyrocket, and then you don't hear. You know, then they're gone. You know, then you don't hear from them again, or the follow up isn't. Uh, things change, and the follow up isn't. You know, where they want it to be, or they just they just give up, or they just live. You know, in that moment, and then they hold themselves there forever. But you know, to be able to keep on and go through the things that that you went through. You know, you talked about being sick, which I want to talk about, but it's tough to keep up with that pace of life. And I think you found that out likely firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did. You know, Abel wasn't, uh, sometimes I wonder what it would, what it would have been like if we would have been a one hit wonder Mm -hmm. with addicted. But the thing is all the follow-ups went top five, right? Mm -hmm. They just didn't all cross over, you know, sex is good did. So the second record had our first number one, which was sex is good. Mm -hmm. Um, and by that point, we all thought we were too cool. That was when band fights started and everything was an issue. You know, if the bus had to stop because somebody had to take a dump, it was like, screw you, man. You, you took a shit last week. You know, it's like, (laughs) Oh my God, what are we, what are we really fighting about here guys? You know? And, and I was just as guilty of it. Mm. I mean, you get tired, you get worn down. I mean, you can, if you follow on a timeline, if you were to just write down every cliche in the book, for how success goes, we followed the exact pattern. Right. Um, I mean, down to, you know, third record, things got tough. Record labels were folding. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we joined with a record label that we didn't end up jiving with. 
they used us as a pawn, basically. That's another conversation altogether. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And you learn this all after the fact mm-hmm. because empirical data is just that. You don't get to see it until, you know, the graves are, are dug. Right. And with the way this, this all went down, you know, we ended up weathering a lineup change because mm-hmm. yeah. my singer couldn't take it anymore. Right. He was sober and he was sick of the fighting and he wanted to be at home with his kids. So he split like 2013 mm-hmm. and we had to rebuild the whole thing Yeah, and we did it. It's just, it, it, it's not at the same level that it was, but we found an entirely new audience since then. So I, I think that the, the best way to do this business and navigate through it is just to keep an open mind because you're going to get thrown some curveballs. Yeah. You obviously, you know, through the success and through what I want to kind of correlate it to is a, a real massive change. You mentioned being on, on a stinky van in a stinky van with a bunch of dudes, you know, and like, this is this as good as it gets. And then obviously you see the, the, the next level, you see the, the tour buses, but the industry, the industry and the way in which people receive music and even, I mean, I think down to the level of the record label. I mean, it just, that environment in that span of time, even radio, almost went 180 with the in- introduction of the technologies that we, you know, we currently have and that continue to to fill our palette is you have, you know, I, re- I remember the w- watching the explicit version of the addicted video, you know, and that was yeah. like, oh, hey, hey, these guys, they know how to shoot a video and get some fucking attention. Edgy. It's edgy. And then, then I can't know it's, it's tougher to find these days. But you, you went through a, a musical period of time in the industry when it changed so much, you know, so you not only had all the, uh, the quintessential band issues that you have when you do add in, you know, the access to anything, the rigorous schedule, the, you know, not jiving with record labels, all that stuff. And then you have this whole new world of technology that's out there. So it all kind of fits right into when this, uh, you know, you're, you know, saving able is kind of going through some tough times, obviously doesn't it helps matters in certain avenues, but obviously adds a lot more stress to an already stressful situation. Yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, it all comes down to like, you know, the inception of uh, downloads, yep. file sharing, mm-hmm. all that. You know, I mean, I remember when that happened. I can see it in royalty statements. You know, <laughs> when Addicted <laughs> came out, nobody downloaded music. Right. When 18 Days came out, everybody downloaded music. That quick. So it's just, it's literally like you could sell on a timeline. Again, it's empirical data. Mm-hmm. It's not subject to scrutiny. You can just see it. Um, and that's the thing. It's like everybody's, you know, it's progress, it's technology, but is it? Because what you end up doing is disillusioning musicians. It's basically impossible to make it now, right. honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's a separate interview, but I'm grateful that we were there at a time where you could do it and we mm-hmm. proved everybody that we did do it. Um, but times are just really tough now because of all that technology. Everybody expects to be able to get your song for free. You know, every, and then if, if that's the case, how do you tour if you're a baby band? Exactly. You know, we could, we could not have survived on the hundred bucks a night on our first tour ever with Evans blue and framing <laughs> Hanley in 2006 in a van yep. at a hundred bucks a night. I mean, guess what? Every now and again, we need a hotel room. 
Right. We got to put gas in that freaking tank. You got to just hope you sell enough merch. The downloads are what saved us. Yeah. It's a so unless you're independently wealthy, it's almost like just don't try. Yeah, and I think you know even at that point, if you have that kind of access, and you, I mean, you have, uh, if you have that wealth, you know, I'm not sure the music industry is the avenue you go about, you know, doing it because there are when you you don't have, I don't think you'll find success in that just because of the fact that you will have challenges that you're probably not prepared to overcome. You know, there's a lot yeah. of there's you've you've talked about the stresses of of being on the road, of the things you just mentioned, you know, hundred bucks a night. But you know, even in these days, I mean, there's bands out there that are doing you know fifty weeks a year in touring and literally scraping by. I mean, they have a broken axle, they blow a tire, they miss a gig. It's you know that could put them off of a of a tour. It's that you know they're they're hoping for those downloads. They're hoping to gain success. You know, in a digital world that that is less reliant on on how things were built, you know, prior to them, and to get started in in this day, it's easier. I think I think it's easier to get started in music now because there's so many avenues to put music out and ways to get them to a, a fan base. But to go on the path of radio success, touring, uh, you know, building a, a huge brand, it all has to be done really socially, and it's a it's a wild world. You have to really have a, a good product out there because people can find the next best thing, you know, on Google. Well, and, you know, you just have to be savvy. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I am now the youngest member of Saving Able, and I have no idea how to, like, do a Facebook boost <laughs> or, like, a campaign <laughs> to, like, like, I just, I don't, I don't know how to do it. Right. Because I, I'm, a, I'm a dinosaur now in the industry in the sense that I still believe it's supposed to be about the music. Mm-hmm. 100%. Which makes me old, you know, it's right. like you need that young person that's like, well, clearly you need to click here and, da, da, da. you know, like we need that person. Yeah. Um, and a lot of labels fell short when it came to that. I mean, that was a massive shift in technology and game plan as to how to run your business. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it became. I mean, the music industry became, I mean, even at the band level, I mean, it always had that element because obviously you guys are are tracking merch and, you know, you're coming up with new, you know, ideas and, and branding campaigns to, you know, logo designs, all these things. So there's a marketing element to it, but now you really, you have to have that business savvy. If you're just, I mean, you can be extremely talented that will get you so far, but if you're not able to expose yourself to a, a world that walks with its face planted inside of a digital device, you know, 19 out of 24 hours a day, it's tough to, to find that kind of exposure without knowing how the, you know, knowing how the buttons work. You ain't kidding, man. <laughs> Believe me, I'm, Hey, I'm living it right now. Yeah. But you, you got a good crew around you though. You know, those, all those guys, they know the, they know the buttons to push half the time. Yeah, well, there's always just, it's, it's good to have those people that do stay yeah. up with the times. Right. Um, you know I mean? I, I actually, I mean, I, I run a side business mm -hmm. yeah. and I have people that help me with that side of it. Because I know that at the end of the day, that's not that's not my strength. I got to cater to my strengths, which which stem from creativity. Right. I have, dude. I've asked my nine year old when I started, you know, started my own business and got into this thing. There was a, you know, I, you know, being in radio, we had to change the hat into being kind of social media gurus and, and learning that technology. But there are still things. I'll ask my nine year old, and he'll figure it out. Like, dude, hey, what's the yeah. what's like the next big you know, the next big thing? Oh, you know, everybody's on TikTok now, Dad. I'm like, oh, what the. Like T I C K. No, it's T O K, Dad. It's T O K. I'm like, you shoo, you watch your mouth, young man. 
you know so it's that is a a whole new world exposed out there that you have to be um, really have somebody at least in your in your wheelhouse that understands how it works yep so you uh you know you mentioned getting sick and you being the well-traveled. I mean, you talked about traveling even before the Honduras trip, which I think is what what a great, you know, reference back point to, you know, learning, you know, that drive and coming back with all the, you know, the talent that grew over those five weeks. But you've been all over the world. You've seen things, you know, Memphis is a, a beautiful place. It musically, that historical musical legacy that lives there. You've done bands before Saving Able. You've been on the track of success of Saving Able. You know the the ups and downs through uh, through going through member changes, the excess of the road, the waking up in Vegas story. Which I mean, really, I don't want you to write the book yet because, like I said, the band has so much more to do. But I can't wait till uh, to read it because you know. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to ask the guy I was with what the hell. <laughs> it was easy. Hopefully, he was. T- See, in this day and age, somebody's got that on video, which maybe is maybe it's a good thing that it happened when it did. But you know, talk about talk about getting uh, getting sick and you know how. You know what the 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 story behind it and overcoming any any setback in life can can take you in kind of two directions you can go and and work your way back up to where you were before and excel or you can find a place in a deep dark place and remain there uh for a long period of time yeah well i mean with me it was uh i mean in general i always I attribute it to excess. Mm-hmm. I've never really been, I mean, I, I mentioned doing drugs growing up, like when I was in like high school, maybe a little bit in college. I've never been the drug guy though. Right. I've always been like the drink guy mm-hmm. that never stops. Like my drinking was legendary and, <laughs> and my just party skill. Like I would just, I would sleep three hours a night. I've just always been that way. Right. Well, when you're running yourself ragged like that, eventually it's going to come to a halt. Mm-hmm. And it happened to me circa 2015, 16, I started fainting. Um, And I was stupid. I didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was my heart was slowly failing. And I liken it to like a dying car battery. Like I know more about the human heart now than I ever wanted to. Right. Because I had to educate myself. Um, By the time we isolated the issue, we found out that my heart was operating at 19% of full functionality. Damn dude. And they say typically like when you're just walking around, it's called your ejection fraction, which is like a ratio of um, something out of a hundred, how hard your heart pushes blood Um, and a healthy male, um, like between my, you know, 30 to 50, 30 to 60 Mm -hmm. is 55. 45 is like, okay, 35 is serious cause for concern. Mm. 25 and under is you need a transplant. Wow. And mine was 19. So they were like, you basically, we have to tell you that by law, we have to put a pacemaker in you because you're insured by Blue Cross. Because we fear the next time you fall over, you're not going to wake up. Wow. So I had to have a pacemaker put in Mm -hmm. six days after I had the pacemaker put in, I had what would have been a fatal episode. I fell over and my heart basically quit working for about 10 to 12 minutes. Jeez, dude. 
and it just kept shocking me. Like I'll never be able to forget it because I didn't pass out. And when I told them that after I got to the hospital, they were like, oh, my God, you poor man. And then they told me, they said, usually after about four, you pass out. After about six, they didn't say die. They said after about six, you expire. <laughs> that's, well, that's that's gentle. That's much nicer. I was like, that's yeah, lube. That's the lube. by the card catalog, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Get the lube. You know, I'm just going, oh, my God, like how serious is this? Well, that was like in 2016. Um and I had a, a I, had, I had heart failure. I was in and out of hospitals. Um, I, I dumbass wouldn't stop touring. Jeez. Because I was like, look, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. If I got to die in front of the fans. I'll do it. I'm not slowing wow. down, Abel. Wow. My bandmates have kids and wives, and this is how we make money. Mm-hmm. Let's go. <laughs> that was stupid. It probably halted. It was it was a speed bump in my life. Is how I look back on it. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I'm in and out of all these ERs across the country. And I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, my mindset was, I'm just going to die. That's cool. I've seen more of the world than anybody else. Right. You know, we've played music. I've got gold records. I've, I've done things that musicians would never dream of. And I was in this dark place. I started writing this song called This Old Heart of Mine. Mm-hmm. And basically the premise was, all right, heart, you and I had a good run. I guess you're going to bail out on me. And when you do, I'm gone too. So thanks for the good times. It was dark. Wow. Well, something happened where I kept being in these hospitals and I would see these sick children Mm -hmm. and they had, they were just so much more positive than me. What ends up happening is sort of this like transcendental moment. I'm sitting there, I'm having a particularly bad day. This one kid, like he's getting wheeled out. And I'm listening in. He's just so ecstatic Mm -hmm. over the moon. And it's because he found out that he was going to get to spend Christmas in the refectory instead of the hospital bed. Wow. And I'm just like, dear God, I am the world's biggest pussy like (laughs) that ever walked the earth. Because I'm sitting here feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the world playing music for people that that adore the music we put out there right and it was just like this massive moment of clarity and i was like okay if this kid can be that excited like maybe i can get through this and i slowly changed my mindset yeah it wasn't overnight right but i was like if i take i'm I'm blessed to have good insurance and great doctors Mm -hmm. um so I was like, maybe I can beat this. Um, and then it was it was a long road. I'm happy to tell you now that my ejection fraction is 55. Awesome. So I got past it over the course of time and, and meds and, and, and great health care, ultimately. Right. Um, but what I did was I started a foundation for children mm-hmm. with heart problems. And the moral of it is it's called Rock and Roll for Hearts. Mm-hmm. And the mission statement is give kids hope instead of despair because it's easy to get low and and go to dark places and you know you can easily make the argument that hard living attributed to mine even though my doctors told me there's no data to suggest that right they're like you you, like you say you've been drinking all that like your liver is fine Mm -hmm. if you if drinking too much had caused your heart to fail your liver would be completely fucked Mm -hmm. And they were like, that's not the case with you. 
So, you know, you can make any, any number of arguments, but with kids, there is no argument. Yeah. They're innocent and just victims of bad luck. Mm. So since I have had the fortune of being lucky and being one of those bands that got out there and have a name and a platform, I want to use it to one, teach people about heart failure um, and that it can happen to anybody, including kids and have them educate themselves and help provide children with hope instead of despair through music. So rock and roll for hearts. And I wrote a song to go along with it called This Old Heart of Mine. I completely rewrote the song, dude. I don't, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. She sent me over the, the copy. That's, wow, dude. I mean. Well, it's now a message of hope. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. There's something to be said. That's where that is, you know. You know, they're, kids are, are a, a weird, uh, not a weird thing, but having one well, of my they are. They, well they oh, dude i i have one and i'm like dude you're weird and it but it's cool um uh, he's he's cool he's accepted that you know he's 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 self-aware but there is you know we, we kind of go through life and in a very fast-paced world uh you know we're all 90 miles an hour with our hair on fire you add a kid into it and that becomes you know 110 miles an hour with your hair on fire and you forget sometimes especially if you're you know our kid is is healthy but we had a moment a couple of years ago where he got extremely sick and we ended up in the hospital, uh, in ICU for, uh, eight days. And we had so much perspective and I, you know, I liken it it's similarly, but different, you know, from your scenario where you're in this room and you are like, wow, we are just, we are just living so fast. And the frailty of, of life is existent in all of us. But for a child who hasn't had the experiences, obviously you you mentioned some of the ones you've had. You've gotten all these tremendous things that you've seen and 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 been a part of, and and these kids are going through these heartbreaking, uh, from our perspective, they're heartbreaking issues that they have no control over, and you yep. you feel uh, you feel helpless, and you feel like like wow, there's like. If something would happen to me, I'd be like, well, I deserve that because of this. You know, I fucked up, yep. you know, so many times in my past that this is just either karma or because of those excesses that I lived in myself, just coming back and saying, time to pay the piper. You know, when you're nine or when you're six or however old these kids are, you're like, damn, this is just, you know, you, you really want to be able to do something. And the fact that you took the issue that you were going through and obviously it brought you not only did you get better, you know, health wise, but it brought you from, as you mentioned, sitting in a, a kind of a self-loathing position to this, you know, position of there is something I can do. You found, you know, the rock and roll for hearts foundation. You're able to use the things that you've experienced and, and the, the trajectory that your life has been on uh, with the successes to be able to, to help and to, I mean, it's, it's a story that, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't get to tell because they they see those situations, and a, a lot of people are extremely self centered and extremely me me me. But when you are witness to a, a child who is helpless, and you're able to make a difference in any way, shape, or form, I mean that just that's that's a huge credit to you, sir, as um, as a human being, and and I think twofold the power of of what kids going through things that they have no control over can do 
uh, to adults and what, what kind of positive effect they have when you see that light, you see the things that they get excited about when you're like, you're excited about moving from your hospital bed, you know, in, in to someplace it's not that, you know, it's not extremely better, but you're just so excited about it. Um, really gives you perspective and man, good on you for, for using that as a platform to just do great things, man. That's, that's inspiring stuff. Well, I appreciate it. You know, it, it didn't, it didn't come overnight. It right. took, uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of reflecting, you know, when you're sitting there alone in, in the hospital, it's a, there's not enough cell phone time to, to keep you occupied. Right. You know, when yeah. all that, all that shit first went down, I was in the hospital for 11 days Jeez. and every single day I was like, can I please get the fuck out of here? <laughs> and they were like, sir, do you understand what you just went through? And then they showed it to me because I have a pacemaker. Right. They could show me like where it's like, so here's where you died. <laughs> here's the point this where you four days ago. Ex- here's where you here's expired. How weak your heart is. Yeah, here's where you expired. <laughs> so that's actually kind of gnarly, man. You know, a pacemaker. Yeah. Just to be kind of vivid, um, it it's like getting the paddles when it goes off. Right. So it's ten thousand volts Jeez. to your heart. It just it hits you with ten thousand volts all at once. And you're awake. You're awake. Yeah. So. The first one hit me and I kind of like freaked out. I was actually on the phone with somebody who I'm still friends with. Hmm. And she's like, yeah, you just screamed. And then I didn't hear anything. And I was like, okay. Uh, so what happened after that was I knew something was wrong. Like it hmm. felt like world war three going on inside my body. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to sit down when this happens. So I sat down and then that's why I say a, a dying car battery. It's like, I felt the lights going out and then, and then it hit me again and you're just like, Oh, I mean, it's excruciating. It's like, it's like getting kicked by a horse. God. And so it happened a second time and I just laid down and then I hit to the fact that it's going to, it's going to happen again. I could feel it diminishing, like my heart just weakening. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking, please don't go off again. I would rather die. <laughs> I would rather expire right here. <laughs> Here's where I would like to expire. This thing hit me. And then it hit me the third time, and all I heard was total shell shock. Oof. God. And then the fourth one, I couldn't see anything. So I was just laying on my back, and I couldn't see and I couldn't hear. But I could feel it starting to to die again. And I was like, is this just going to keep happening? Like this is surely it's going to stop or I'm going to die. Yeah. One of the two. And then, so I'm a classically trained guitar player. I actually grow my fingernails, Mm -hmm. um, to use as like picking apparatuses. Right. And, uh, like around the fifth one, I just, I grabbed, it was, it was cold. It was January, but it was in Mississippi. So it wasn't like super cold, but the the grass was frosty. Mm Mm-hmm. I grabbed the earth so hard that my fingernails broke. And then by the eighth one, I was just kind of like in a state of shock. And then it slowly stopped. Like, and I was just laying there and I, I regained sight and I could hear. And I, I was, I was visiting my parents. I crawled home to their house. And that's when I told my folks what had happened. What's crazy is I had my phone the whole time. 
I could have just called 911. I could have, but I didn't know if living with a pacemaker was just going to be like this. Right. And the first thing I told my folks was, I need a new doctor or else I want you to just call Kevorkian. <laughs> Put me out. I don't want, I'm not going through this. I'm not doing it. I'm not living like this. Man. So when I get to the, the hospital, I'm like completely in shock. And after I'm finally stabilized and they explain what happened, they're like, so when did the car hit you? And I'm like, car? They're like, yeah, like surely a car hit you. I was like, look, look, we're in Mississippi around like New Year's in a small neighborhood. Believe me, anybody that saw what I was going through would have stopped. There was right. no car. And they were like, no, but your, your fingernails, somebody must have run over your hand. And I was like, that's what you came up with? I was like, no, I, I grabbed it because, and I had fingernails from playing guitar. Hmm. And they were like, you were conscious? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was definitely conscious. Yeah, I felt, for all felt eight of the whole fucking thing, Doc. I felt the whole fucking thing. I wrote a song about it called Boom. <laughs> <laughs> of, course you, of course you did. Oh, man. That's, you know, I think there's, to go through that, I mean, that's, you know, oh, nobody nobody lives through that it, shit. Like, the light at that end of the tunnel is that with these kids, Yeah, I'm not some hack that's just like, I'm not just trying to do something nice from the goodness of my heart, which is now healthy, thank God. Mm. I lived it. Right. You know, and so I can look in their eyes and be like, hey, dude, been there. Yeah. Like, you've got this. And that's been such a cool part, like, next chapter of my life because mm. I went public with it. Right. And the people I've met, the outpouring of anybody who's been affected by heart failure, um, and, and especially kids, but ultimately anybody, this old heart of mine has been instrumental in connecting with people I never would have met right. otherwise. How can people, um, if, if people want to uh, to help out the foundation, uh, I'm sure you're all over the social media's uh, website, where can people reach out to the Rock and Roll for Hearts Foundation and uh, find out what you're doing, find out what things are available, how they can help? Best way to go is, um, you know, it turns out it's not easy to start a 501c3. <laughs> True. Um, there's just a lot of red tape. So I've opened under someone else's umbrella, mm -hmm. which is uh, we got softball for hearts, fishing for hearts. Theirs is established and mine is in the process. So I'm not taking donations at this time, but you can stay educated on what's going on just on Facebook. Right. That's where I encourage people to go. Uh, there's rock and roll for hearts. Um, just on Facebook, mm -hmm. there's SB creations, yep. which is the clothing line, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Mm -hmm. And then there's my personal page, which is open to the public, Scott Bartlett. So SB creations, rock and roll for hearts, Scott Bartlett, stay up with me, hip to everything I'm doing. I try to be mildly entertaining while I do it, <laughs> uh, but you can keep up with my life and, and, uh, endeavors on those three pages. Uh, the SB creations, uh, the clothing line, I think is, is, is such a cool in, you know, rock and roll has it. It's there's so many avenues. I think outside of just obviously your main talents. You know, obviously you're an incredible uh, writer. You're an incredible guitar player, uh, performer. Uh, but to learn the avenues of what really amounts to becoming a businessman, becoming an entrepreneur. Because I think being an artist, being a band, you know, kind of teaches you those things by default. Because you need to learn how to be, uh, you know, a brand and how to expose yourself there. But tell me about the creation of SB Creations, the clothing line. I know there's inspiration behind it. Uh, so tell me about, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're a business owner now too, on top of everything else. Yeah. Well, you know, I've had the line, mm -hmm. uh, 
for a very, very long time, um, close to 10 years. Mm -hmm. But it was called something different back in the day. It was called TATCO, T-A-T-C-O, which was an acronym that stood for the Artist Tattoo Company. Mm -hmm. And what we were going to do, it started with, I have a tattoo on my left arm that says, Celesis Quod Volvo, which in Latin means rock and roll. Nice. Uh, a buddy of mine were talking one night and it started bouncing ideas around. What if we put that on a shirt? Well, that came to fruition. Um, and we got investors. And while the band was gaining, the band was gaining success, those investors were coming out all the time. We had big ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened is money was just misallocated. We didn't know what we were doing. Right. Um, and by the end, I, you know, I wasn't making decisions. I was touring mm -hmm. and I was like the vehicle to get like this company that I was a part owner of to other bigger artists. And we were making shirts for, you know, Papa Roach and mm -hmm. Shinedown and Buck Terry and, and we were on tour with all of them. So it was easy. It was very accessible. Right. Well, what happened was at the end of the day, money was misallocated and the investors didn't know what to do because the other people I'd started the company with stopped answering their phones. Mm. And so people are coming to me going, where's the money? And I'm going, I, I don't have any idea. It was then and there that I learned one, not generally a great idea to go into business with friends. That's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. uh, two, know where every dollar goes when you're a business owner. Right. Otherwise you look like a dumbass and you're either negligent or you're a thief. It's one or the other. Yep. So I let the company lapse and I resurrected it about what, five years ago under a different name, SV creations, which is solely my tattoos and the stories behind them on clothes. So that's been a fun sort of zesty enterprise for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because one, I'm a, I'm not like one of these 120 pound rockers. I'm a big dude. I'm like six, two, two forty with a lot of real estate and a whole <laughs> lot of ink. <laughs> so I'm like a Bob Dylan song. I can just keep going with my stories about my tattoos. And, right. you know, um, so I've got about six designs now. Mm -hmm. um, and I've partnered with the buckle or Very sorry, cool. it's now called buckle, uh, which is a huge apparel store mm -hmm. that you'll find in malls all across the country. Yep. And I'm really excited about this. We're doing sort of like a mid South, um, five test markets where I'm going to do appearances and, and play this old heart of mine. Cool. Um, talk to fans, giveaways. Uh, and you can find that anywhere. If you just go to, uh, well, my page, we'll, we'll give you all the information about it. So if anybody listening happens to be in the Birmingham area yeah. on November 16th, I will be at buckle from four to six. That's awesome, dude. I mean, I, I know we're, uh, we're a little over on time, but I, I, just hearing the stories, and I, I want to get you back on because I think we there was there's a couple different avenues I think uh, throughout this podcast that we could definitely venture down, and, and I appreciate you you know taking the time to 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 tell the stories. I think there's you know there's so much to learn uh, when you really when you scratch below the surface of of an artist and you you learn about that it's it's not all what we see on the screen. It's not all what we hear. I mean, there's a lot of it, obviously that pours through in the songs that you write. Um, I think, you know, using several examples in that about, um, real life experience, uh, and pouring through into songwriting, you know, with, uh, with this old heart of mine, you know, with boom. Um, but there's, 
there's so much more to it than the average person gets a chance to to see. And I think a lot of times you can have even if maybe you're not fans. I think they're a little more invested, uh, you know, in Abel and in you. But layperson who just listens to the radio or finds you, you know, online, you know, can have, oh well, must be nice. You know, he gets to uh, to do all these things, gets to see the world and stuff. But I think when you really dig in a little bit and you get to hear, you know, all the things that you have to go through to be able to see the world and to be able to, you know, the 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 physical hardship you had to go through in order to, you know, have that moment of, of clarity and realization that, you know, started, you know, the Rock and Roll for Hearts Foundation, the this trying something new in an entrepreneurial world with investors and business and, and, and learning by failure, you know, how to then resurrect something. Um, and that's, you know, the same with Saving Able. I mean, when I first met Scotty, I was just over the moon with his, you know, performance, you know, with the way he carries himself and just was so excited uh, the first time we met because I never got a chance to interact with you guys um, uh, in the first go round after the first uh, you know two records, but I mean there's so much more to this story to be written and I'm glad that you had a chance or that we had a chance to kind of lay bits and pieces of uh, of the prequel uh, out for uh, for the listeners because I think there's there's a a bunch of beauty inside of a bunch of pain um, inside of the the things you've had to gone through Scott and I think it's 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 awesome to be able to hear them you know from your mouth and, and from your heart. Well, you know what's what's cool about that? Um, we can kind of leave it here. Uh, that's just my assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to ask any of the original members of Saving Abel, they might have a different story to tell. Like, we all have our own stories to tell. Right. It's just on this public of a platform. My, you know, your perception of it is really interesting. I, I, I remember reading, I read this Willie Nelson book, and it was an autobiography, and he did something that was so cool. Like, the epilogue was... It has never ceased to amaze me how 12 people can live the exact same thing and tell 12 completely different accounts of what happened. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that being said, this is my life story, according to me and the other 11 people I hold nearest and dearest to my heart. And then like Mm -hmm. one chapter is like the tour manager. Mm -hmm. And he'll tell these like sweeping stories about what it was like tour managing Willie Nelson. And then it's his second wife, you know, his, his, his son. It's like, and, and the stories intertwine right. with like vastly different accounts. Mm-hmm. And it's just so kind of groovy how that, and, and again, I think that's why it's so important just not to lie right. and be you because there's so much like real life in being real mm-hmm. and people identify better. You know, there's no sense in trying to be cool. If you're on this rock star platform, we all know you're not a fucking rock star. You've been a nerd and a dork too. And we all identify. <laughs> oh yeah. hundred percent. So just embrace it, you know? No, man. Authenticity. And that's, you know, that's a, a motto I think to, to live by. And I think if you are not living in that space yet, uh, I think there's, there's, there's a no time like the present to, uh, to become an authentic human and to own up to, you know, who you were and, and who you are. Cause I think that is, you know, that's where these, you know, these stories have your, your stamp on them is because you're, Dude, you are truly authentic. The other day I've been handling tour managing, saving able. Right. And we were playing, it was one of the last shows of Mudfest, and I picked up the merch money. We were at a casino. The next morning I woke up and I was like, shit. <laughs> I went and found Jason and Jason's been handling the money and I've been tour managing. And I was like, Jason, 
I don't have the birch money. I don't have any idea where it is. I know I went to the casino. That's all I know. <laughs> and he goes, Bartlett, you gave me the merch money last night and said, take this from me before I go to the casino. <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, level of just candid sort of yeah. earnest, like, man, I can't remember where the merch money is. I, I, I screwed up. If I owe us, let me know. And he was honest right back. He could have taken me for like, you know, probably close to a thousand dollars. Right. Then, he <laughs> like, Nope. Sorry, dude. Didn't see it. I didn't see shit. <laughs> what did you do? Did you win? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way to cover yourself too. Like, you take this away from me because I do not need to be currently in charge of this profit. Yep. And I knew it. Everybody told me I had one eyeball that was working. <laughs> but it's still, it got you, you got to the casino and back to the room. You know, that's, that's the important part. Yes. That, that eyeball yes. is, was in charge, man. Awesome. Hey, Scott, thank you. the world's hottest cyclops. <laughs> Bro, felt like I had eight, eight that arms. That should be the name of this interview. The world's, <laughs> world's hottest cyclops. Episode 42, the world's largest cyclops. And just see the crazy amount of listenership we get from all over the world. It's going to be awesome. Man. Right. Hey, brother. I Again, I truly appreciate your time. Um, we're going to send all the links up to uh, not only to the Saving Able page, but also SB Creations, uh, the Rock and Roll for Arts Foundation. We'll get that all up on the show notes for the episode of the podcast. And, uh, and thank you. Let's get you back on here soon. I know you... You got a busy uh, run here with the, um, shouldn't say that, with Buckle and uh, in the clothing line. So good luck with everything and uh, let's get you back on soon, man. Rock and roll. Can't wait. Thanks, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, for consistently listening, for sharing the podcast with your friends. It really means the world to me uh, to help spread the message, to help spread like wildfire. If you, uh, if you are listening and you're not subscribed to whatever platform that you're on, if you're listening on your iPhone or your Android device, maybe your tablet or wherever you're, you know, Alexa, please make sure that you are subscribing. That way, every time we drop a new episode and they've been coming in hot as of late, you'll get a notification on your device that lets you know that there's a new one ready to listen. I know you're all over the socials because I am all over the socials and you can follow the program and all the things that we have going on, all the intricacies and behind the scenes stuff from the show. It's riveting. Uh, social media, we are on uh, Facebook, we are on Twitter and Instagram. So make sure you like, follow and subscribe and make sure you get all those uh, details and insights and pictures and crazy stuff that we're doing. Last but not least, do have to say a big thank you out to Nick and the Holistic Remedies crew on the World Wide Web at HolisticRemedies.net. Your CBD needs, your full spectrum needs. They got all that stuff. And you get 10% off your order if you use the promo code Cooper at checkout. That's HolisticRemedies.net. Thank you again so much for cranking up the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. New episode coming very, very soon. Otherwise, always a good opportunity to catch up on previous episodes. Thank you so much. Go get after it. <laughs>